everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 165 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. Yeah, it's a Tuesday, and we're releasing a podcast. I don't know what that's about, um, but I think we're going to get in the habit of it. I told you guys last week that a really fun interview for you guys, and I have some also had some plans on releasing this Thursday. I have an episode planned for everybody about kind of answering this this age old question. Can you get your black belt using only YouTube? Would that be possible? Uh, and so I didn't want to push back that episode, but I also didn't want to not release this interview because it's an excellent interview. And there's a lot that I think people could get out of this interview. Uh, what's cool about this one, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my guest in a second, but we get to talk about some ideas that maybe I push a lot or that um, me and my students believe in. And what's cool is I get to talk to somebody on the other side of the world that we don't really have many friends in common or any coaches in common, but we kind of got to a lot of the same conclusions. And so that is, um, that, that that's really exciting to me. Those are my favorite type of interviews uh, where you can just, where you have similar ideas, similar um, thoughts as a person, but then you also live on the other side of the world. So you're going to express those thoughts differently. You're going to discuss those thoughts differently. And for me, it helps fill in my perspective so much more by giving me just a slightly different perspective. Uh, so I'm really excited to share this with you guys. And that's kind of where this idea came from was... <sighs> It's about time for the Isaka Jiu-Jitsu show to start posting twice a week. Uh, we get so much traction with the solo episodes that I do pretty much every Thursday now. Uh, and I've only did like 12 interviews for the entire year. And yet the channel has still grown and people have still uh, enjoyed just listening to me talk. And so what I thought is it's time to do both. Uh, I can't, I'm not committing to weekly on Tuesdays putting out an interview. I don't have that time yet. We're in the middle of a remodel of um, actually my space, my office that I usually record in and the Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu Studios. And so uh, during that remodel, you'll see me filming at weird angles, holding the microphone in my hand instead of uh, um, where I normally would be recording and, and normally would be shooting at. But hopefully by the beginning of the year, we will be ready to go full steam. I have some brand new ideas, uh, of course, some things that have never been done before that we are going to attempt on the Isaka Jiu-Jitsu show and with Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu. So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Um, but for me, one of the most exciting things is to be able to hopefully double the podcast output and start to record an interview and a or, or put out an interview and a, a solo episode every month month or every week and this is kind of the start of that this is where i will get the first data on whether or not you guys even want uh to to hear me twice a week and uh hear the eye jiu jitsu show twice a week um but we'll we'll see and so this first interview i think is a perfect one to start with uh this is with a my guest tum energia he is from the netherlands if you guys are like me from America, we don't even know where the Netherlands are. I get a little a little bit of a geography lesson with Tom, but what's interesting is Tom is actually a teacher, at least he was. Uh, and so him using kind of the ideas of teaching, um, teaching students 
now teaching uh, grapplers. It, it, there is a lot of correlation and a lot of new ideas that he talks about that we've kind of discussed a little bit on the show, but we get to dive a lot deeper with Tom. And one of my favorite ideas that we talk about is this idea of playing more games in your jiu-jitsu school and um, playing games that actually help you develop certain skills that people need for jiu-jitsu. And uh, we really dig deep into that. Uh, we also just just kind of talk about content creation. We talk about kind of the highs and lows of content creation, which kind of does um, put into perspective is kind of perfect for this Thursday's episode coming out being all about uh, YouTube and could you get your black belts on YouTube and I actually have a little bit of YouTube drama for you guys. I never talk drama on the show, but I've got like... I've got like 1% of drama to share with you guys uh, on the show this Thursday, so be sure to check that out. If you guys have not yet, be sure to give the show a five-star review. We're putting out two episodes a week. What more could you want from us, man? Uh, But also, we're not committed to making sure that we put out two episodes a week every single week yet. There may be some lag as we get things rolling in the beginning of the year. Uh, But I'll stop with this intro, and we will go ahead and uh listen to this combo with me and tum energia here it is tum how are you doing today buddy i'm great man uh yeah thank you very much awesome to meet you and uh, i'm very looking forward to this yeah man I'm, i'm glad to get you on uh we started talking probably maybe a year ago and yeah, uh you you have a, a cool YouTube channel where you get people to you'll you know have different guests on, and uh, you had me on as a guest in a completely yep. different country as you. Yeah, and I actually got that through your podcast. That's that's the funny part because you did a amazing episode. I can't recall with whom it was, but it was about uh, advice for coaches. So I thought it was very cool about running your own gym, and you know, it's it's uh, as most people know, it's uh, sometimes a struggle to not only do jiu-jitsu but coach and run a gym. And you had some cool advice there. And they, then at the end of the episode, you said, if I, if I can ever help anyone, do a shout out to me. And usually I never respond to those kinds of things because I'm like, who, who's going to respond anyway? But I thought like, yeah, fuck it, man. Let's send the guy a message. <laughs> and I tried sending you a message on Instagram and Facebook and you replied. And I said, yeah, let's let's do it, man. I cannot get you here. I cannot go there. So how about we do a video for our YouTube channel from the other side of the world? And uh, that's how we connected. Very cool. Yeah. And what was also interesting to me is uh, this is like the small world of jujitsu. You do uh, an episode with me. I, I look at it and I look, start looking at past videos and I go, oh, man, two weeks ago, you had Charles Harriet do uh, uh, do an episode. I had yes. just had him on my podcast like, oh, that week and just had him in for a seminar. He and uh, Chris Payne's in for a seminar that week. And so it was a we actually. I think on the episode that Charles on, he does a really quick mention. He just mentions your first name. I don't think he even mentions the channel, oh, uh, but he was says he doing I, capoeira stuff. Huh? Was he doing some capoeira stuff? No, no, he just. Oh. Uh, uh, he was just talking about, he was just talking about doing, I think he was just, we we're talking about branding or something like that. Mm. Uh, but it was just, a, it was him saying, yeah, this, you know, I just did a video on YouTube with Tom and I, I thought about it for a second and I was like, I just did a video on YouTube with Tom. And then we kind of just brushed over the, the topic, but we talked about it after and uh, yeah, very small world of jujitsu there. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun how things uh, come full circle sometimes, and that 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 from one episode I get in touch with you, and you know Charles, and Charles I just only knew from social media, and then he came to my gym, and now he's been coming every year, and uh, we actually stayed together at a, a jiu-jitsu camp with uh, Craig Jones recently, and uh, slept over at the gym, trained there, and it's an amazing guy by the way. Shout out to Charles. But uh, yeah, small world after all, man. Cool. And, and so that's kind of where I wanted to start is more of where you were at. And so could you just, uh, you're, you're in the Netherlands, right? Yeah. And could you kind of, and you have gotten to train um, in other places. You, It's not like you have just trained in the Netherlands. You have gotten to train, like you said, with Craig Jones. You've gotten to train with a, a lot of high-level people. Can you just give... Yeah a little reference first to some of the places that you've gotten to experience training jujitsu at. Cool. Yeah. Um, so the Netherlands, obviously, I think we're pretty blessed with the level of athletes we get to come to our country. So in the Netherlands, I've trained with uh, Jean-Jacques Machado, Eddie Bravo, uh, the Mar uh, Martinez brothers, um, man, Craig Jones, Lachlan Giles, uh, a lot of famous guys, Imanari. Uh, and I also traveled to Belgium for some seminars, but, between you and me, Netherlands and Belgium is so close uh, compared to the States. It's a, it's a short drive. Then I went to train in Spain and some other places, uh, but I also stayed in Brazil. I lived there for a uh, short of a ha half a year, uh, trained there, not with any famous names, but just with local clubs in the, in the favelas where I, uh, where I stayed. And I think that was pretty beneficial to my jujitsu and not jujitsu skills, but necessarily more the, yeah, getting to know the true jiu-jitsu, whatever is the true jiu-jitsu though, but traveling and doing jiu-jitsu, you meet people, uh, I don't have to explain you, man, you, you meet people, you, you train with different people, you, you learn different teaching styles and training methods. So yeah, a lot of Europe um, uh, and also Brazil. I thought that was a really cool place to train, yeah. And so uh, could you compare some of the the jiu-jitsu, at least the the way that it's trained, the way that it's thought of, the amount of people doing it? Um, to some of the places you've trained compared to the Netherlands, just so I can kind of get a picture of what training is like in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I think it, what I thought about Brazil the first time I went there, and mind you, that was that was a few years ago. I thought, man, now it's gonna be now it's gonna be insane, and everyone's gonna be insane black belts, and everyone's gonna be so good and training five times a day, and uh, you know, I had this huge expectation. And then you find out that even though that's true for some athletes, they're completely obsessed and training four times a day, but that's also happening all over the world nowadays. But there's also just 80% of the population is just recreational jiu-jitsu. And that kind of gave me a feeling of like, huh, that's interesting. Jiu-jitsu here is just a sport. There's also uh, dads doing it and moms and kids and, uh, you know, uh, uh, people with, with less physical attributes and, and recreational people just once a week training. And people weren't like all super athletes. Were, which isn't to say anything about I love in Brazil, which is amazing, but uh, that was kind of an epiphany for me, a clarity that I thought like, oh, cool, man, it's just, it's kind of the same, you know, it's just people train jiu-jitsu for different reasons and a percentage of the people on the matter are competitive, a percentage of the people on the matter are recreational and everything in between. And people come for different reasons and stay for different reasons. I think in the Netherlands, it also changes a lot from gym to gym. So uh, I've always been training at Gracie Baja, um, like, like, I don't want to say old school, but you know, like, a Gracie Bar gym, but when I go to Tenth Planet, it's different. But that's that's I think that's gym in Delhi. But for the Netherlands in general, I think people are pretty uh, down to earth. A lot of the Dutch were known for being like, I don't know what we're known for in the States though. But um, I think a lot of people are just like um, very sober. I think that's the word we use, nuchter, but uh, down to earth. Being like, okay, cool, jiu jitsu, and they just want to do the the they think the physical 
part and the, the puzzling of jiu-jitsu is very attractive and a lot of Dutch people come from a judo background so I think a big comparison is in the states you guys have a lot of wrestling at high school and I mean we think that everyone does wrestling there uh, <laughs> during school I'm not sure if that's true but at least we don't have any wrestling culture in the Netherlands unfortunately it's it's small though but judo is a big part for a lot of kids so the link from judo to training Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the gi I think that's the easy transition for a lot of Dutch guys and therefore, I think that no gi jiu-jitsu submission grappling, even though it's it's growing a lot in popularity, I think we're a bit behind on that because of the difference in wrestling culture as opposed to judo culture. Uh, and because of the, the, the suits, the belts, the structure of the gi class, I think uh, that's easier for people to step into as opposed to uh, no gi grappling. And the classes itself, man, I think uh, I think a lot of people just really like to compete. A lot of people just really come for the for the uh, the fun of training jiu-jitsu, the puzzling, the challenge. And yeah. I think just like all over the world, people with different reasons, uh, training and staying for different reasons. So uh, before we move on, you made uh, two references to the States, and I'll give you good clarity on that. First, you said, uh, you know, I don't know what people in the States think about the Netherlands. So something mm -hmm. you got to realize about people in the States is they don't think about anything outside of the States. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, you know, that's a, you know, that's an American stereotype that is, 100% true. You know, if you if you dropped a map and said, "Hey, you got to point out the Netherlands," very few Americans are going to be able to do it. They're going to they think that Amsterdam is a country. I'm sorry, your your mic cut out there. Sorry, Amsterdam? Uh-huh. Oh yeah, that's a country. That the Netherlands is a bit bigger than only Amsterdam. It's actually funny because in one of your recent episodes, you said uh, you compared something about Jitsu gyms as well, like you did with the, I think it was between structured class and open mat. Uh -huh. You were talking about that difference. And then you said, I don't know how people do it somewhere else. And then you referenced like, but here in the Midwest, and then your reference from somewhere else was somewhere else in the States and not somewhere else in the world. That's how, because the States are so big. So that, mm -hmm. that does make sense. And the second one. And and so, uh, yeah, the, the other thing you said was about... Shoot, what was your other? What was your other? Oh, it was about wrestling. It was about everybody wrestling. And uh, yeah, where I am at in the Midwest, that is true. That is a you know a very big portion of the country. Basically, anywhere that it gets so cold that there's nothing else to do but go inside and try to wrestle your friends. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. And so, any of the farmland part of America, you just have a bunch of really strong farmers that hay bale all day and then throw each other on the mats all night. And so, there is there is a large part of uh, of wrestling culture in in America. It's actually growing again. It kind of died off um, because wrestling is just so hard on your body. It's so hard mentally and physically. And then uh, it's kind of kind of made, been making a comeback probably a little less hard on your body and a little less beat down. Um, Does this come back have something to do with jiu-jitsu or with MMA being more popular? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know where the push came from. I, I mean, USA wrestling does have a lot of money behind them. And so I think that that's a big part of it that they were able to say, Hey, less kids are wrestling now than ever before. What could we do to make wrestling fun again? I think they, I think they might have gotten rid of the singlet. I think that was a I think that might have been a that might have been a good move. Um but kind of on that same note, uh for for us wrestling is uh, is a, a school sport. You started your your profession uh was you're not currently a school teacher, correct? Uh not anymore, even though I do 
some things for schools, but that's as a, uh, they hire me as an entrepreneur. So I'm not on the payroll list. I just come in for like a 10 week uh, setting or like uh, something, a specialism, and then I'm gone again, but no longer structurally. So if you were just, uh, just random question, if you were doing one of those 10 week sessions, what is that? What would you be teaching? Yeah, so that's the, uh, I go to one of these schools every year. They have this, uh, this, this set they have to offer from the uh, from government is a topic on bullying, on uh, sexual education, uh, drugs, uh, you know, like things that aren't subjects on the school. But um, yeah, it's all packed in one uh, one subject for them. And they hire someone externally to teach that to the students. Uh, that's something I do uh, using sports and using theater and using uh, different teaching methods as opposed to just sitting and, and reading for class to get them talking about, okay, how would you, for instance, uh, you learn all these things, this knowledge of your uh, education, but how would you apply them in, for instance, a job interview? How would you apply them if you have uh, difficult customers? How would you go around with bullying if one of your personnel or colleagues was bullying someone else or um, sexually harassing them? And those those topics that they don't really like to uh, touch themselves, that's the things uh, I do, using sports and theater as a tool to uh, discuss this knowledge and, you know, make them more, yeah, like better better workers or uh, employees or even uh, owners. Yeah. And these kinds of things. And that makes uh, you know, like that, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of uh, different teaching methods and different training methods that seem to not be utilized yet, but seem to work really well. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show. What I really wanted to talk about with you is uh, you seem to do a really good job applying your, your teaching background to your jujitsu or to your jujitsu teaching. And I wanted to first ask, what point did you start feeling confident doing that? Um, when you were, you know, in your, in your teaching journey of jujitsu, because I know for a lot of people, you learn jujitsu in a class setting and it feels the same, whether you're in Brazil, whether you're in America, whether you're wherever most people teach three moves, four moves, everyone drills them a little bit, and then everybody rolls live. What, yeah. when was your first bit of, hey, maybe I could teach people a little bit differently. Maybe the method that I'm using actually matters. Hmm. Um, that's a good question because it's it's hard to pinpoint a, a, a set amount of time, but let's, in, I think in the beginning, as I, as I look at my current instructors or the guys helping out or teaching kids class, uh, I always tell them the first thing that everyone can do in jiu-jitsu is be an instructor. An instructor is the guy that just tells you to follow the steps and you copy that. And that's the easiest and most safest way to teach. You know, I, I take a grip, I do I do a move. Okay, any questions? Mind this detail. Now you go and train. And I think I also started out as that, to be honest. Um, and then as you get more confident in your technique and you start to not see the move, but start to see the overlapping concept of, okay, what is... What is it that we're drilling this this month, this week? What is the thing I want to get to teach them? Because if I teach them a move, man, Jiu-Jitsu has like a million moves. If I want to teach my students those million moves, it will take a lifetime. And the highest amount of knowledge they can get, the best thing they can ever achieve is being as fucking dumb as I am. So I need them to be way smarter. So I'm not teaching moves. I teach concepts and I teach uh, these things. And I think that went a bit naturally. I think the first thing I started experimenting with was warm-ups because warm-ups are a bit safe to like kind of go out of the box a bit and just don't do the structured warm-ups and the, 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 the drills and from side to side, you know? So I thought, hey, let's do some more warm-up games and let's see how people learn with the setting of games as opposed to drills. 
and let's see how people learn from positional sparring. Let's see how people learn from um, from uh, like like troubleshooting positions, etc., uh, or live roles, etc. And trying to observe, and then as time progressed, I think I went, uh, I got more confident in thinking a little bit out of the box, and I also saw that no students were quitting. We even had more students signing up every time. I thought, hey, wait, I'm I'm letting go a little bit of the structure and this this instruction. And still the results are being good. And what are those results? Well, for me, the most important one is happy people in the mat. That's the most important one. If I see happy faces, people will learn by themselves. I think that's the best mindset. And then you can see progress in how they spar, but also competition. So if I'm doing something different and I see everyone losing competitions, then I know, hey, wait, something is happening. I need to use this data to adjust our teaching methods or training methods or whatever. So I took all that information, like how we, uh, how we competed as a team, but how people were feeling, how the club was growing, just like as a coach, your members. And all this information gave me the feedback, like, okay, we're on the right track. And then I kept evolving. So it's not um, something that happened at a moment, but I think there was a good moment in time when I started uh, not teaching for another gym with just a few members, but I started really doing my own thing and branding it with my own brand that made me give this mentally thought of freedom. So it was not like running a gym, so to, to have you understand, so I started teaching for someone else who owned the property and they just hired me. So I felt like an instructor hired. But when mm-hmm. I started uh, my gym, Energy and Martial Arts, and I just rented the mats and I thought, hey, wow, this is now my jiu-jitsu team with my philosophy and my uh, values. Let's go. And then from there on, I think that was a huge bump in my uh, confidence and self-esteem to dare to go out of the box and feel like it's, like I'm responsible, but I'm also in control to do whatever I want uh, with all this passion I have. And it's turning out pretty okay so far, but uh, still got a long way to go. Have you ever dealt with people discouraging the way that you teach or the 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 methods that you use? Yes. Yes. Um, because I think there's, if you look at a room of jiu-jitsu people, if you have 40 people um, or 20 people, whatever, they are all individuals, all with their own learning style. Some people prefer uh, seeing. Some people you need to like show them the move. You know, you have this student, you can tell them 100 times, use your hip, and then you apply it to them once, and then it clicks. You know, everyone mm-hmm. has a different way of learning. Some people like a class that's very structured, like military, and some people uh, or like drilling, like wrestling, uh, as I think of wrestling, like, you know, a lot of drilling and mm-hmm. a high pace. And other people like to have fun and play around a little bit and goof with a different kind of guard. Uh so you can never satisfy everyone. And I think that's a hard thing as a coach to let go of trying to make everyone happy. And also, um, I don't know if you, do you have kids? Uh, no, uh, like, do I have kids class or do I have? No, no. Do you have kids of yourself? No, I do not. No, me neither. But I, I think it's uh, like being a parent, you don't always have to be nice to your kid. You want to make them better. And I think the same is for an instructor. I don't want everyone to really like what they're doing. I sometimes have to do the hard thing for them in order to make them get better and like it in the long term. So yeah, I had at some point, I had some people um, mentioning that they thought it was too complicated if someone came in in Jiu-Jitsu, the new white belt, and and they said, well, we're doing set these, we're working in a, in a concept for a month, and then it was too complicated for them if they've never done Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And I was, wait, if I now bring the class down to basics, then it would be not encouraging enough to the blue and purple belts. And if I do the class and have the white belt separated, he wouldn't feel as part of the team. So with that information, I developed the, I was working around this thing. And now we have the body system where when a new white belt comes in, I pair them with someone who I think they're 
compatible with, and then they get to uh, be their buddy for the whole training. They're going to do the same drill as the whole class, but he's just going to like not water it down, but make it a bit easier. So, okay, now the class is doing one, two, three. We're just going to do one. But he's still part of the whole class, and it makes it a bit more easy to get into the new group. And so I use the feedback people give me in what they don't really like about how we train, and I apply that to uh, to to better the way we train. And sometimes there are people who think that uh, the class is too structured. Other times people think it's too loose. And I just play around that and try not to satisfy everyone. <laughs> so... Uh, you kind of touched on it when you were talking about warm-ups. You talked about the idea of playing games to get better uh, to get better at grappling. What uh, first, what was your first experience with that? What when did you start to go, oh, maybe we could maybe we could take this little piece of jujitsu and turn it into a game? I think it's a background. I think if you come from a traditional martial arts like karate, judo, uh, you you're used to structure, drilling, and doing the moves. If you come from wrestling, you used to, I don't know, I've never done wrestling, but my background is in capoeira and capoeira is a game and in capoeira, everything is a game and a dance and everything is very playful. And combining that with my work as an elementary teacher with kids who are playful by themselves and I see kids grow a lot more when they play as opposed to kids growing when they just uh, memorize things. And I thought, okay, can we apply that uh, to jujitsu? Because Adults are still kids in some way, and they really enjoy the same things. Just like a video game, if it's fun and challenging, you learn a lot better than when you just get boring information stuffed into your head. Mm -hmm. And also because it worked a lot for me. I like doing games and where I like doing games and everything I do and make it like a puzzle or a challenge and have fun. And then the knowledge, it doesn't like come by itself. I think that's too easy to say, but you understand what I mean. The knowledge comes after if you're happy and you like what you're doing, then you get better as a result, mm -hmm. not as a goal. So then I applied that in jiu-jitsu. Um, and I think the background was the capoeira thing. I think that mindset, that gaming and less drilling uh, has to do with how I uh, started martial arts and my personal uh, personality. And I started applying that in jiu-jitsu and I see people having a lot of fun. And people who have fun, they keep coming to class. And people who keep coming to class get better, especially, mm -hmm. but that's something I think is very important. The games we play are jujitsu games. Mm -hmm. So it always has to do in some way with jujitsu. It could be something to do with a technique or it could be something to do with a concept or with a uh, structural physical thing, like like how you move your body, balance games, et cetera. Uh, that could apply, for instance, how you, uh, how you base yourself in guard or how you base yourself in stand-up with different balancing games or trying to disbalance your opponent and stuff. Do you have any examples of games that you might play? Sure. Um, let's give a few. Um, so uh, what we do with adults sometimes, sometimes one of the adults is uh, standing. I'm trying to do this so that people who are don't have the video still understand. So that's part. Mm -hmm. One of the adults is standing. The other one jumps guard carefully around them, around their waist, and starts climbing around the guy. I think you've seen or done this before. Mm -hmm. You know, starts climbing around underneath the guy. And they do that with drills and running. So they're not grappling, but still they're getting great grips. Uh, and for team building, sometimes with the with the belts and the gi, we're like, okay, everyone couples up. You take off your belt, you put it on the floor like a landmine. First one to touch the belt with your partner uh, is out. You do a push-up and you switch with another winner. So you don't have to know takedowns, anything, even if it's your first class. If somebody part of him touches the belt, he's out. <laughs> then you do the same thing. Then it's two by two. Then you do the same thing with the whole group. You say, guys, we're going to go free for all. All the belts are on the floor. All, all, all the belts are like landmines. Anyone who steps, trips, or falls on a, on a belt is out. And you got to do wall sits or whatever. Uh, but then you also get people to 
uh, work together. Like I said, okay, everyone goes on the heavy blue belt or on the on the on the heavyweight purple belt because it's free for all, you know. Mm-hmm. And then people get competitive, they get games, but still, it's fair for everyone, even if you don't know like jujitsu technique or are very good at throws and takedowns. Uh, and that's how we play. Sometimes I take if I have a smaller class like uh, uh, ten people or uh, fifteen people, I split them in two. I give everyone a number, so you're number one, Josh. Uh, he's number two, three, four, five, and the opposite team also gets numbers one, two, three, four, five. And in the middle, I lay an entire jiu-jitsu belt, and everyone is like two mats away from the belt. And I call the numbers like one or numbers four and five. And the numbers four and five get the race to the belt, and the first one to get the belt on the opposite side of the mat wins, like like pulling rope, right? Uh-huh. But they get to choke each other. <laughs> they get to pull the belt. They get to pull their teammates, and they get to pull the teammates of the opposite side. So you get like this huge free-for-all play thing. Where you still train your grip strength, the belt, you train your reaction, you train your cardiovascular system, you train a lot of things, uh, but it's in a in a play form. And I think these things are a lot of the the games just now out of the top of my head that are good for warm up that still uh, get everyone uh, involved, moving, and still are jujitsu related. Uh, something I've been doing this week because I realized a lot of my students don't know the names of their teammates. Yeah. Uh, you should ask your students do you know everyone's name you know what you saw recently yesterday we had like 44 people on the mat of course not everyone knows each other's names but also when i have smaller classes I did it with, with the kids this week we had 15 kids and i wanted the kids to know everyone's name because i say g2 is a team sport it's you individually with your teammates so i did a game where everyone is uh, uh running through the hall uh, through the mats but in jiu-jitsu, I say we, we don't run like joggers. We run whilst shooting, fall, breaking, fall. And, you know, we run like jiu-jitsu athletes. And then I say one name, for instance, Josh. And the first three people to touch Josh, they're free. And everyone else has to do burpee. <laughs> so then I keep yelling names. And you can, you can be like, oh, wait, I'm going to run close to Josh. But then I yell Pete. He's on the other side of the room. So you have to switch. You have to learn names. You have to do burpees. You have to react. Um and everyone learns the teammates' names in a fun and uh, fun warm-up game, especially with kids. This is very, very fun. And then once in a while, I say, for instance, I say, uh, Elizabeth, but we don't have an Elizabeth. So everyone's like moving around and being like, I'm like, guys, focus, let's go. Everyone does a burpee. And, you know, they have humor, they have fun. And it's 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 a warm-up, um, which is still, I think, jiu-jitsu related because you, you can make it in all forms of ways. The first one to lift them is free or the first one to shoot on them is free or whatever. But they get to know each other's names, and that goes back to um, what I spoke about with Steve Kwan, the, the socially uh, safe environment for jiu-jitsu. If you cannot even name the guys you train with, and they're just like, hey, man, or hey, brother, you know, yeah, that doesn't make it the team, you know? And mm-hmm. getting a better team also makes your jiu-jitsu better, I think, in some ways. So, yeah, just some games um, uh, to answer your question. And, and that makes a lot of sense too. just the the importance of having people on the mat that you're friends with. Uh, so many of my students, they come in and I can see that they like scan the mats for their, you know, their group yeah, of buddies. My buddy here. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, and they're and it's like, you know, whether they recognize it or not that they're doing it. But that is like where the excitement of the day comes from. So, oh, I have my favorite training partner here today. I'm going to do some, you know, hard rounds with him or we're going to drill together or or whatever, but uh, what I I think we're on the same page when it comes to, uh, and I don't think a lot of instructors or most instructors think of this in jujitsu. It's weird because your coach is also generally a business owner, and you know this business owner has to make decisions financially for their family, for their you know for their livelihood, on top of 
trying to get you good at jujitsu too. And so sometimes what happens is oftentimes what happens is people become numbers and it's about getting the right amount of new people in and oh, I got to get, I'm always losing two people every month. So I need to be adding five every single month. And that's nothing wrong with thinking in those terms, right? You want to be growing your school, but you also don't want to be losing those two people. Those two people, ideally, you want to keep because if those people stay long enough, those people stay five, seven, 10 years, your mats get better. And I notice now for me, it takes less work from me and guys are getting better faster on my team than ever before. And it's simply because the mats are better than they've ever been, you know, and that comes from, you know, that same exact idea you were talking about. It's just making sure that people are having fun. Do you have any other tips for making sure that your students are having fun and wanting to come to class? Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because you said in a, I thought you said in a podcast recently that uh, you had not that many white belts. You have a lot of blue, purple, brown, black, uh, because your level on the mat is so high. And I thought that very uh, interesting. Um, and also what you said about, yeah, sure, being a business owner and having new people coming and staying, that's important. But also the uh, the, uh, the other side of the coin is people focusing so much only on their high-level competitors, uh, some coaches, because uh, especially here in Europe or in the Netherlands, a lot of coaches, they do this besides their normal job. They don't, it, because it's very hard to live off jiu-jitsu. Uh, as a coach so mostly i know like 90 percent, they have a normal job and then they do jiu-jitsu coaching as a hobby um but a lot of people focus so much on the on the top level guys and think okay who can benefit the most from jiu-jitsu you know high level guys can benefit and compete and whatever but you know even the recreational dad whose life is completely changed by jiu-jitsu those are the people i also want to uh expose to this beautiful art um and your question being okay how can you as a coach make sure people are having fun am i correct mm -hmm. yeah. um the thing about what I just said with the name games is also very important for you as a coach to know your students and don't see them as a club. Don't see a group. I see 40 individuals of 40 people, or I have like 150 students develop because I teach at several gyms. Uh, I have capoeira kids. I have jiu-jitsu kids. I have jiu-jitsu adults in three places. I have MMA, grappling, whatever. I try. It's very hard, but I, I think 99% uh, I have this. I'm pretty easy with it, uh, thankfully. Know everyone's name. I try to know their birthday. I know what they do for a living. I know their hobbies and just small things. But someone walks in, man. Hey, Josh, how did your exam go this weekend? She had a you had an exam, right? Hey, Josh, how's your mom doing? Uh, she was ill last week. You know, whatever. These things make it so that people feel so appreciated and valued in the team. Uh, also, as a coach, it's very easy to give jujitsu athletes tips. Like, hey, try to put your arm there. You have to do this better. You have to do this better. You have to do this better. But sometimes the best advice to give people is, wow, that was really good the way you did this or this. So saying to someone, good job, that's too vague and too empty. It's like uh, telling a, a woman or sorry, someone you're telling. If I told my wife, you look uh, good or that's good, then that's not that's not a good compliment. I say, wow, I love the way you did your hair today or you're just radiant today or whatever you choose. And jiu-jitsu as well. If I say that was good, you know, yeah, okay, thanks, man, next. Or if I say that sucks, that's also bullshit. I say, Hey, man, it was really cool how... Uh, guys, get over here, get over here. Hey, watch how Josh did this. Try to see what he did. And then Josh shows up the thing. I said, Josh, just do what you just did. Guys, you see the way he moves his hips. It's not about flexibility. You just have to A, B a little bit. So you get more flexibility without being flexible. It's just the A, B. See what Josh did. Yeah, nice. Okay, give it up. Nice. Okay, next one. And that's the way I think people really enjoy. They get valued. They are seen by the instructor. And they are appreciated. I think that is how people feel comfortable in a place. And, you know, that combined maybe with a bit of humor 
we have a bit of dark humor sometimes, but I think a lot of YouTube people have. So I'm that is a, every jujitsu place I've ever <laughs> been has dark humor. Yeah, every yeah. single one. And that makes it fun. You know, people just want to feel relaxed because uh, I shared a video recently about pre-training anxiety. And for you and me, we're so deep into jujitsu. You cannot imagine being uh, anxious for a normal class, not competition, not anything or open mat with a lot of heavy guys, just a normal class. But mind you, how many of your students, white belts or even blue and purple, are still anxious for normal training or normal class? They exist. And uh, saying that doesn't happen in your gym is just being ignorant. And how how can you make these people better jiu-jitsu? It's having them feel like it's comfortable. You can just train. You know, Don't water down jiu-jitsu. You still have to be, you know, like uh, everyday pohada sometimes. But <laughs> um, find a balance in between being everyday pohada and also having people feel appreciated, seen, valued. Uh, and fun just make a joke try to know the names of the people you're with and try to know who they are who is josh you know and what, what who is he within the team and i think that's a pretty good way to get uh, people having more fun and also the things that happen after or before class i like to come early to class or stay a bit longer after class just have a drink with the students or just go on a road trip somewhere when we go to seminars I ask some students we go together we, we, we go to a restaurant, we have some fun. A lot of people in Jiu-Jitsu do this already because the community is so tight. Uh, but I think that makes that makes a, a way better connection with your students if you have the luxury of being able to do that, obviously. That makes sense. So something you said was not a lot of people uh, in Europe are able to run a gym full time, right? And that, and mm -hmm. that be their uh, kind of primary source of income. But you... Uh, have some different things entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially that uh, you do. And I just kind of wanted to talk about them and kind of talk about your motivation behind them. And so uh, obviously we talked just a second about the YouTube channel. Uh, you also have a BJJ Fanatics instructional. Uh, you're one of the one of the first Europeans to get on BJJ Fanatics, correct? I was the first Dutch one. The first Dutch. So how did how did you go about how did you go about that? What was your approach um, for, because I know that, you know, we get a wide range of people that listen to the show, right? You have brand new white belts that have no intention of ever putting out some type of instructional, but then you also have very good brown and, and purple belts that are all over the world that, you know, kind of are in your, the situation you were in. Um, what would be kind of your, your approach for that, uh, just specifically for VGA Fanatics, but then we can kind of talk more broadly. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And uh, Josh, I really want to give the best tip. But in my specific case, I, I think I was just lucky, man, because uh, I don't know what I did. You know, um, BJ Fanatics, they contacted me. I got a message from uh, because uh, Michael Zenga saw my YouTube channel, which was by the by that time really small. Mind you, I like we had like only 100 or 200 subscribers. I was just starting out, I think. And I don't know how or why he spotted me. I wasn't doing any sponsors or, or whatever, any uh, promotions on Facebook. He just saw the uh, the YouTube channel, I think, and they contacted me. At first, I thought it was a prank or I thought it was someone looking for my coach or someone else or they had the wrong guy. You know, I'm like, who wants to have me for BJ Fanatics? But I think it's like kind of the law of attraction. And I, I want to give a good tip, but I was just lucky, man. I got contacted by them like, hey, do you want to do an instructional? I'm like. Yeah, sure, man. Let's go. And from there on, it took off. But there is a lesson within that. And I started the YouTube channel without ever having the goal 
of being on BJ Fanatics. I never dreamt of that. I never thought that would anything remotely possible for me. Um, and I started uh, just doing videos because I loved it. That was it. That was the only reason. Uh, I never did it because I'm going to make money because between you and me, no one can ever make decent money from YouTube. Well, besides like uh, Chewy or the big guys, you know, or Eli from mm -hmm. Mike Shitsu, those guys, but I will never see myself up there. And with that mindset, not, not uh, downgrading myself, saying, oh, I will never make it, but with the mindset of, you know, I'm just going to do it pure out of love, passion and fun. And we'll see how it goes. But I still have a business approach and I still have an approach of I'm going to do it. But not with the goal in mind to be on BJ Fanatics or to teach international seminars or to ever be monetized on YouTube, whatever. Um, and then things just came my way. And that's 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 just the best explanation I can give. I'm so sorry. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I, I was just lucky, I think. I'm maybe you were just lucky, but it also takes a lot of, you know, I, I know having a podcast, but like same with having a YouTube channel, it is hard to consistently be able to put out content and to consistently be able to have a new idea of, Hey, who are we going to interview this week? What's this episode going to be yeah. about? Or for you, what, what is going to be the title of this video? What's going to be the thumbnail? What's going to be what I show? And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not easy to do. Are there any tips on finding that consistency, uh, that you might have? Yeah, sure. I think, uh, what makes, because, uh, for people listening, our channel, we started out hiring a camera because we didn't, we couldn't afford one and we couldn't even afford the, the, the standard that it's standing on. We just put it on some boxes and we just went from there. And I think seeing every YouTube filming session we had from the first one till the one last week, uh, we, we filmed like every few weeks as not a day to get content done, but a day to have a lot of fun with my camera guy, who's a student of mine, and with the Uka of that day, uh, having some snacks, having fun, having a coffee, and then filming something with her, which I really like filming. I don't have an agenda of like, oh, I have to do this technique, but I don't really like it because people are asking for it. No, I do whatever I like, which I think is cool. Uh, that makes it easier to be consistent. And that's circle back to training jiu-jitsu uh, if you have fun training jiu-jitsu it's so much easier to to keep up the consistency before you quit jiu-jitsu because of injury or anything that happens with the channel as well i just consistently put out videos because i like filming them and i just enjoy the progress and not only the goal and that kept me going that's my motivation to keep on going you have a favorite video that you've put out uh oh man uh yeah i think the yeah, I think some of the guest techniques, I, I really, really enjoyed having some uh, special guests. I think that was a dream to like have Craig Jones on my uh, humble channel. That was amazing. Um, I like my Ninja Choke video. That's one of our most popular videos because it's, I never thought if I had known which video would be popular at the beginning, I would have totally made them differently, but you can never choose. Mm -hmm. It's uh, also frustrating sometimes. I think you have the same thing. Sometimes you bring out this podcast, you're like, wow, this one was amazing. And it gets way less views as the one you think like this one was mediocre. I have done some videos as well. I have these amazing videos. They get barely any views. I'm like, wow, I put so much effort in this. What's happening? And sometimes I put out a video like, oh, yeah, let's just do one this week. And then it gets like pff, hundreds of thousands of views or whatever. It's it's crazy, man. Uh, especially with the short videos on Instagram. They like it, it's the algorithm is, uh, is something special. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think the Ninja Choke one is the one I like uh, best. I think the shoulder crunch video is also really cool. Um, yeah, those things. I think, I think the things that are a little bit more of the box, not just the armbar triangle videos, mm -hmm. but things like something a bit more, uh, experimental. I think I like that one the best. Yeah.
Hey guys, Josh McKinney here. Just wanted to interrupt this interview really quickly and share with you something that I have going on at simplifyingjujitsu.com. So right now, my latest ebook, The Three Lenses, is totally free. I've told you guys a lot about it. It's about the three perspectives that people will tend to learn jujitsu from, and it will help you identify how you best learn jujitsu, which if you know how you learn, that will just speed up your progression a ton because you can focus on how you naturally learn. Uh, and that ebook is very, very cool. I think you really love it and it's free. But more importantly, that ebook puts you on the Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu email list. The Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu email list is... Um, it's cool, it's fun, but it's about to be even more valuable. Uh, we are, me, I am kind of going full content creation mode. Uh, I am kind of, as the kids would say, going full send on content creation. Uh, and it's not just going to be me putting out these two episodes a week. I actually have some new ideas that I can't wait to share with you guys that are going to be hopefully life-changing for all of us. And we're going to be able to really learn jiu-jitsu more efficiently and effectively than ever before. One of the best ways to stay on top of all of those things that I'm going to be pushing out besides just listening to the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show, because this will always be the flagship. If I ever go anywhere else, understand that the plan is to always keep the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show as the main focus, the focal point of any content that I create, because I've invested a lot into it. So have you guys. There's a lot of people that have been listening since the beginning or just listening for a really long time. We have a lot of investment in the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. So there's no worries. We're not getting rid of anything like that. We are only going to be adding to the content and making it better. And the best way to find out what we are doing is to get on that Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu email list. So if you go to simplifyingjujitsu.com slash three, that is the number three. It's not spelled out. Just simplifyingjujitsu.com slash the number three you will be able to sign up for that free ebook and get on the Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu email list. Be sure to get it going. Let's get back to the episode. So with your, I know you kind of referenced that you, you're you doing these things for fun, but with your gym, with your YouTube, with your just your international seminars you're teaching, what is, do you kind of have a, a goal, a place you're trying to, to be at, or are you just enjoying yeah. this, you know, kind of enjoying the ride of it? Uh, that's, that's too easy. And sometimes I, 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 I speak that out too loudly because obviously there's a plan. So there's a part of me that's just freaking obsessed with jujitsu and no, sorry, obsessed with teaching people jujitsu. So, uh, uh, I'm, I'm really obsessed with training jiu-jitsu. I love that, but I'm also obsessed with teaching jiu-jitsu, but there's also obviously the part of me that runs a business. And that part is sometimes a bit, um, how do you say, can't find the English word, but uh, uh, neglected. That's one. <laughs> yeah. And neglected because I never studied to be a business owner, man. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure it out. But obviously there's a plan. There's a way because I started out with teaching for fun and I got called to teach at different gyms. I started out with the YouTube for fun. And now I have two instructionals and a third one coming on BJ Phonetics. And I started out doing a guest class and now I have seminars I have like four seminars booked with me this month, next month. I'm going to Greece in 10 days to teach there in uh, in Greece. So that's going to be very cool. But it, it always starts out fun. But there's this goal, this long-term goal. And I, I with the fightwear as well, I make a, a rash guards and geese. Uh, I have these goals. And I think the first one I made was very easy. That's branding. I just want to take five years, three to five years, 
with only one goal in mind, doesn't matter the cost, doesn't matter what I have to sacrifice, is I want people well, in the Netherlands to, uh, when you hear Tom or when you hear Energia March Large, that you immediately get like, oh, yeah, wait, that, that's that Lackloe guy, the guy from the Rash Guards or the guy from this or that or that, whatever, or the YouTube guy, to build a little bit of a brand. So when I say 10th planet, immediately five things pop into your mind, whatever they may be. I'm not going to go over those, but uh, whatever. <laughs> when I say uh, uh, alliance or when I say jiu-jitsu in Brazil, you know, things pop up. I'm like, oh, I'll say, you know, uh, things, th you get these associations. And I want people in Europe or at least in my uh, environment to value the brand. So when, when you see a brand, a jiu-jitsu brand like Kings, Kimonos or Storm, anything, you have this image of it. So branding is the first and foremost important one. And from therefore, I think my uh, long-term goal is uh, creating a, a formula where not only I, as a person, because I'm 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 getting old, but me uh, teaching jiu-jitsu becomes a uh, a philosophy of how my instructors and people within our gym can spread that out and start sharing jiu-jitsu and share the love for jiu-jitsu with more people, not from a business perspective, like growing a franchise for the fact of making money. I don't really care about that. But more for the fact of how can I make this this thing I have this these values these these ways I like to teach and make that bigger make that circle of influence way bigger when it goes from me to one of my instructors who then influence twenty students who then influence and then it goes to I think it's called the butterfly effect no the well whatever passing it through effect and that's a long term goal um, oh yeah not being injured that's the main goal that's a good that is a good goal this morning i just had an episode come out it was, i think it's three ways to not get injured so that's or oh, to never to get injured that. again something like that um but yeah that's always that's always the goal is being able to stay on the mat um before we move on what what is the name of your um of your your clothing brand your your rash guards and your gi yeah that's energia fightwear and so, so when did you start when did you start making those uh yeah on the on the belts we have like established 2019 started a bit earlier but i think in 2019 I, I made it like serious i just made five rash guards and i thought because every gym wants to have like their gym rash guard uh -huh. like with the logos like everyone and you have like 20,000 pakistani sending you messages <laughs> i thought like, okay i want to make a rash guard because why am i wearing uh why is everyone on the mat wearing tatami storm kings uh, whatever all these brands uh, and Fuji, and why don't we have something like uniform? You know, you want that, obviously. So I made five rash guards. I was like, hey, maybe one of my students wants it as well. And then within a month, I had 100 people wanting a, wanting a rash guard, even people who didn't train with me, who weren't my students. And that, I think, was odd because I was like, why would you wear someone else their logo, someone else their gym, because we're a gym, um, while, you're not, while you're not training there, you know? And then from there, I started making the designs less focused on the gym and more so on just a general brand where everyone can feel associated with. And it kind of took off from there. And then I got into contact with a store and now we're in three stores in three major cities in the Netherlands. Uh, and most things online I've shipped through, man, I've shipped uh, our clothing to Mexico, the States, Brazil, Moscow, uh, Russia, Korea, uh, everywhere, man, worldwide. And that also, I think it's the same thing with fanatics. It's just uh, luck or just, I don't know, man, I just start doing it and things <laughs> go, you know, it's, uh, obviously it's not just luck, but I cannot explain how it goes, man. I just start doing it. And then I always have a saying, uh, it sucks in English, but it's something like, we'll see where the ship ends up. You know, I just kind of follow the waves and, you know, whatever. And I'm not afraid to make mistakes. I think that's also pretty important as a uh, entrepreneur. 
I don't fear like I do fear losing money. I spent like a lot of money, uh, like tens of thousands of euros in the in the in the clothing brand. But I also have a lot of trust because I'm like, okay, I don't trust Bitcoin because I'm a fool. I don't know it. I don't trust the stock market because I'm a fool. I don't know it. But I do trust myself and I do trust my own business. I'm like, okay, this will work because I put everything in it. And then it always, well, so far, turns out pretty okay. And that's, uh, yeah, that's just how these things uh, go from the fight where being one rash guard for the team to now having over 30, 30 something Nogi designs and uh, a lot of products going worldwide. Yeah. That's really cool. So um, I usually finish with this, but I think it'll probably, uh, ha- we'll probably have a few follow ups after, but, uh, you know, because we kind of talked about this in the before the episode started. But, mm. <clears throat> at this point wanted to go with what is the best or some of the best jujitsu advice that you've ever gotten i think the best one to say now is suck less at oh man that's <laughs> no, no, that's no, a no. that's good advice man i wish i could do that <laughs> figure that out for a lot of years now um you know i've i was thinking about it because i heard your podcast about uh best jujitsu advice and the thing is, which I think everyone will recognize because I can give you some cool quote or something, whatever, but I think the best advice has to come at the right time. The advice I needed as a white belt was completely different from the advice I get now. That's very important now. And I think a lot of people listening will recognize this as a white belt. I wanted to do, man, I wanted to do flying triangles all day long, man. And, and just black looks. Uh, I actually did. I did a lot of flying submissions, even on competition. That was fun. But the best thing I learned was it's so fucking cliche. It's relax, calm down. Uh, something my, my student, I'm going to quote one of my students even here who said, uh, the quote, uh, was it, um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I think it's a sailors or Navy seals quote. Don't pin me on that. But getting to stop rushing through jujitsu and rushing to the next belt and just enjoying the progress and doing it slowly, really understanding the move before you do it fast. That was very hard for me to get as a white belt because, mind you, I came from Capoeira, which is like twirly, whirly fast. And I am kind of a hyperactive guy, as you might have noticed. So I wanted to do everything fast, not because I uh, wanted to like like muscle it through, but I was very enthusiastic. I was very passionate. And the best thing I learned as a beginner was slow down, slow down. Now, the opposite thing, that's very interesting because you told me about the, uh, oh, sorry, you didn't tell me. I listened to the podcast where you t- spoke about Sean Williams, I correct me if I'm wrong, telling you how Hodge Gracie told him that uh, rolling without strength was the way Hodge won all these matches and rolling with only a purple belt and rolling without strength. And then you went into the difference between rolling with strength and rolling without physical attributes. So that adds flexibility, explosiveness. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that is that is something that would have been amazing advice for me as a white belt. Roll without strength. Try to focus on technique and as a blue belt. But the funny thing, I was listening to this and just a few weeks ago, I got one of the best advices for me at this level. I was sparring with one of my uh, uh, black belt uh, teammates. He's a very good black belt. He also runs his gym. I think he's a very good black belt. And he said to me like, hey, Tom, why are you being so chill? You're being so paced you're being so chill technical and um i don't know the word in english trying to find it so um uh yeah whatever um patient maybe that's the best one and he told me that he he completely looked through me because he's known me for a long time he's a very good black belt and he also runs a gym so he knows what it's like to be a coach now mind you that's the difference between being a black belt and being also a black belt coach seeing a coach and he said 
man, you're rolling like you're rolling with your students. Paste, letting them work, letting them play their game. You're not rolling with me. I can I can beat you at this game because he's been uh, he's been a long time black belt. He said, but I can never out scramble you. Your your scrambles and my fast paced game. That's where I cannot. If you take me there, then you you cannot take me. And then his best advice was not roll without physical attributes or roll slow or take it easy or be smooth. His best advice was pace the fuck up, man. Use your best physical attribute, which is your speed and flexibility, and not your strength, because I'm skinny. Uh, and then I did pace it up, and I got uh, I got submission, and I got like you know I completely took him to my game, and that was something I was like, huh, that's cool advice. I would never have had that advice as a blue belt; it would have wrecked my game. I wouldn't give it to my white belt or blue belt students now, but at this time, that was the best advice. So it's fun. I'd see that I actually gave two answers to your question, and they're so contradicting, but they came at the right time. I think that's a good answer. That yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I think that. Uh... Um, I think that for me, I, the, the role without strength thing was at a time when I started, when I was, I just had my, I just started my gym. And so all the people, all my training partners went from being like all these guys that I came up with on the mats at my coach's gym to now my white belts, my brand new white belts that had never trained before. And that idea of rolling without strength really was helpful for those, you know, going with those white belts, but still same exact lesson for me as I have competed more at, at black belt and competed more at like adult black belt, the, the physicality of some of the people that I've grappled is like, it's like mind blowing. It's like, oh my gosh, I've never felt someone this strong. Um, or I've never felt someone this usually I've never felt someone this strong is is the uh is the thought that I get. But as uh I've done it more, you know, really just this past year, I've committed to competing a lot more, just trying to get better. And uh as I've done it more, lost a bunch of matches, I've gone, oh, there are times that I get really lazy. Uh, and you know, it's because I'm rolling without strength. It's because I am trying to be effortless in my jujitsu, but there are times that I will get, I basically will be halfway through something and stop. And when, you know, I, with, when I'm rolling with a blue belt, I can do that and I can do it super smooth and it's really easy. But when I need that last little bit of physicality, I almost need, and this has been super helpful. I have a, a student that does it and a coach that does it, but someone coaching me that yells, don't wait there. Don't wait yeah. there because it's just this habit that I've gotten in because of that advice that was great for me at the time, which was I learned to roll without strength. It really helped my jujitsu technique. But just to your point, there comes a point where you can do that too much. You can almost lean into it too much. Yeah, yeah. And that that's the, the fun part because the journey in jiu-jitsu is always, you know, developing. You develop as a as an athlete, as a coach, as whatever. So at different parts, you need different things. And rolling with uh, white and blue belts, something that I like to do often, I, I don't know if you do this and uh, otherwise I really suggest it, is I try to look not at winning or losing or letting them do their thing. I'm trying to give myself like mini games. I don't tell them, but I'm like, okay, I can only use my lapel to choke them for this round. And I have this like mini challenge. They are never aware of it. And uh, I immediately like give myself a challenge to not only get better, but also look for specific things during the roll or I'm like, okay, I'm going to let this blue belt go as far as he wants uh, in submissions. And I'm trying to escape at the latest time I feel comfortable in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you overdo it and you get tapped, uh, but you're challenging yourself. You're getting better every round instead of like either 
giving them the game or just trying to win. And these mini games, I also give them to my students sometimes. Like, okay, now uh, that's also a fun game to give people to roll. You get two people and you tell one of them, you whisper in their ear the assignment they have. And the other one, you whisper different assignments and they just roll. And at the end of the roll, they have to guess what the other assignment was. Like only arm bars or trying to get my back or uh, uh, trying to sweep from bottom. And it's a fun game, but you as a coach yourself can do that to develop your own uh, your own game as well. And that is, that's something I do all the time as a coach too. I think, <clears throat> I think I kind of, um, I don't know when I talked about this, might've not even ever talked about this might've been in a book, but uh, is, people always talk about how Hickson would come in to train and he would, he would say, uh, everyone would go, Oh man, I did all right with Hickson today. He only arm barred me twice. And then mm -hmm. somebody would go, Oh, you know, today he was only trying to arm bar left arm, right? He was only trying to armbar everybody's left arm. And, and for a long time, I think it was always told as this idea of look how great Hickson was. He could go into a room full of black belts and armbar everybody's left arm. But also there comes a point where maybe you're just so much better than a lot of your training partners that that is the training method that saying the only way that I can get better is if I limit the amount of jujitsu that I am even allowed to do to this person. Uh, and you know, this will let me get better at something. It's either a weakness or just something I feel like could be sharper or something that's fun to work. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree on that. And the, I think we're very much, even though we're in very different places, we're very much on the same page when it comes to, I love that about how, to how to train. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's also good to get out of your comfort zone sometimes, because if you're so used to like, okay, I play guard, I do these one or two sweeps and I do this good triangle. And, you know, if you just challenge yourself or someone challenges you to, that's why I think positional sparring is very important because you don't always get to play the game like your A game. And also, if you give yourself the assignment like, okay, I'm going to do only arm bars on the left arm, that takes you out of the comfort zone of being uh, the guy who always goes to the top and baseball chokes everyone, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's really crucial to developing your jiu-jitsu as well. And also to keep it uh, fun because sometimes people stagnate in jiu-jitsu because they do the same thing every time. Like, why do you just do the same thing? I, I, I do believe in having an A game, obviously. But why do you always do the same thing in training with your partners? where we have a sport with a million techniques and you choose to do only three. Uh, that's ridiculous. But he says, okay, but I'm only good at these three. Yeah, if you only practice those three. So it's like this chicken and egg thing. Start doing something new and, you know, start enjoying something new and relearn jujitsu. And that's, that's I think, something that's so cool about the sport that we get to do is there's so much, and there's so much new development and uh, something cool. There was something I have been willing to ask you if if that's allowed. I would love, I would love to hear it. Because I, I think this is super amazing. Uh, I, I hope I have this right, but is it true that you train jiu-jitsu also with your father, with your dad? Yes, I do. He's uh, We started pretty close to the same time, and uh, he got his black belt six months before me. That is awesome. And uh, I've been wondering, because within my family, nobody does jiu-jitsu. I took my brother once or twice, and he uh, kind of enjoys it, and I, we, we talk about it, but they never trained. And training with friends, I think, is really cool. I train with a lot of friends, but getting to train with your Father, help me understand that a little bit because I have some dads who train with their sons and I think that's super valuable, but it's hard for me to understand because I haven't had this experience, unfortunately. So tell me a little bit about, about that, the pros, the cons, the the So so for me it was it was I think the timing was really perfect for me because my dad and I started training when I was 14. And usually at 14, that's kind of when 
young men start to try to be their own man. You know, they start to, yeah, they start to rebel. They start to, um, you know, do adolescent things. And for me, I like right at that age where I'm starting to look to become my own man, I get, I get given jujitsu. I get the get the gift of jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And it was for me, it was this first time that something really clicked in my life. And so that was like, for me, I was the first one of us to decide to do it. My dad had actually trained for like six months, uh, maybe a few years before. And uh, he really was unsure if he was going to train with me. He just kind of thought, maybe I'm too old. And he went in. We wa- he, I took the first class. He watched it. And as soon as I came off the mat, he goes, I, I want to do this too. And it was so exciting for both of us. We were in this uh, – we were in a really unique situation like – a three minute drive from our house, they built the, it was one of the first mega gyms, one of the first mega MMA gyms. And it was uh, called the hit squad. And what happened at this place is they invested like a ton of money and they hoped that they were going to get all kinds of UFC fighters there and stuff. Eventually the business went down because that wasn't what happened, but there was a time where we would show up an hour and a half early to collect before class just to watch the pro MMA class. Cause you would come in and there would be five or six UFC fighters training in the class sparring. And it was just this, uh, it was just this amazing time, but it was really cool to get to share that with my dad. But what was also unique is we were both having our own jujitsu experience. My dad was dealing with being 46, 45, eight, whatever he was at the time and getting injured a lot and not learning very well. And me, I'm 14. I'm absorbing everything that's being told to me. Yeah. I've never done anything else in my life. And then for the first time, I'm starting to find some athleticism. And so for me, we're on two completely different journeys, but we would always get in the car together after class and kind of talk about what was going on, what we were trying to work. And it was a really cool, I I, I mean, such a unique experience. Um, but it was uh, for us, I, I know the reason we have such a close relationship now is still because of jujitsu. Uh, but it was a, it, it, it was an, an awesome experience. It was really cool, but it really taught me, I think now looking back, it taught me uh, how to be a better instructor. It taught me how to be able to help people that are older because I actually got to see somebody go from white to black belt that was in his mid-40s, late 40s. He, did, he got his black belt, I think, at 58 or 59 years old. And so I got to watch that and experience that without having to go through the experience of being older and trying to get better at jujitsu. And so I think that really shaped the way that I train and shaped the way that I, I look at jujitsu. What a legend, man, getting a black belt that like late in life, not late in life, but late for maybe athletic uh, things and still making it to black belt. That's huge, man. I know so many 20 year olds who quit because it's too hard. So hats off to your dad, man. Um, were there any times where it was a uh, limitation to your jiu-jitsu having him also being into jiu-jitsu or anything else that was like a con at some time? Um, n- never for me. Uh, I, I'm sure that it can be for other people, but you know, like something that happens a lot when you have jujitsu kids is a lot of times if the parent doesn't train, they will put all kinds of expectations on their kid, especially as a competitor. And they, uh, and it's just because they don't understand, right? Um, They think that jujitsu is like when they played 
um, baseball in school or they played a sport in school. They think that it's the same and it's not. It's very different, especially, you know, obviously you know, with somebody who wrestles or something, they understand the the finality of going out in a one-on-one sport in front of all your friends and family and maybe losing or winning or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But people that haven't experienced that, it's very hard to understand that life and death feeling of jujitsu competition. And so um, when a lot of kids that I was competing against, you know, kids, 14, 15, 16 year olds, uh, their parents, you, you know, they you could tell winning meant a lot more to them than it did to me. And it was because I, you know, my dad and I understood winning and losing, you know, we understood, okay, you have to you have to lose a lot to to get good. At least most people have to lose a lot to get really good at this. And so um, I think that level of understanding was always more helpful um, than than anything. I don't think it ever really had a, a negative uh, side to it, at, at least that I remember. Awesome, man. man. That, I, I wish I could share it with my dad, but uh, I think that's a really cool thing also to understand as a coach how this works. I have so, so many fathers who train with their sons i don't have any with the daughters but with sons and sometimes i'm like how how is it for them and how is it sometimes for the dad to see your kid learn so fast and you having such a hard time to keep up but you will never feel frustrated because it's your kid you know you, you, it's amazing for them but it would be i think what might be hard or some, a topic that's interesting to discuss for another time uh or something to think about is what if the the dad completely excels the son uh, and the sun has to be in the shadow of the because jiu jitsu is also your hobby, your passion. I, I, for one, I love that I don't share all of my hobbies with my wife. I get to do my thing, she gets to do her thing. Uh, and if we would do the same thing, uh, uh, one of my purple instructors, his girlfriend also trains, so they're always on the mat together, and that's really cool. And they do that perfectly, but man, I, w- I wouldn't want that for the world for me. So, uh, that's very <laughs> interesting to see these relationships and uh. How, how you share something with a family member uh, in this case. And I always feel envy for the Rotulu brothers or the Miao brothers or anyone who trains with their brother. I have some, I have three brothers. It would be amazing to train with them full time and share jujitsu as a shared passion. Actually, my brother's sitting next to me now, smiling and uh, laughing. But uh, one day I'll get him to do jujitsu, I hope. It, it just takes, it just takes the right timing. You know, it really, it really does wait for your brother to have a bad day, you know, wait for him to just have a really (laughs) bad day. And then you ask him my, like, uh, uh, my, my wife trains now she's a, she's a blue belt and she, you know, we've been together for like, I think 12, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, something like that. We've been together for a long time, but she is, she started training more recently and, uh, it is, it's totally different than training with your dad. You know, it's a, it's a very different because, because with your dad, there is always going to be, he is your dad. That is, you know, so Mm. even if he does excel faster, um, because that, that was actually what happened for us at first, Uh, the first maybe year, my dad excelled faster. My dad got his blue belt in like six months. And also because you were 14, right? mm -hmm, Yeah. yeah, I was still, yeah, I was still pretty small. And uh, he also, uh, he had trained a little bit and really, at that time in the area that we were in, even with six months of jujitsu training, you had way more jujitsu experience than almost anybody, right? Yeah. And so he was able, he got his blue belt really quickly, but there really wasn't a, even a thought for me as, oh, I wish I would have gotten promoted too or something like that. And maybe it's just our relationship specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like the, 
you know, now it's different for me teaching my wife. It's kind of like the, the coach student relationship when we're on the mat. And, uh, it's just a very, very different thing, um, than it was when me and my dad were coming up together, but all yeah. those different family relationships, those different family dynamics, I really think that, uh, they're some of the most fun parts of jujitsu because it's just really unique. It's a really unique situation to get to train with your dad. And, you know, for me and my dad to get to wrap the blue belt around my wife, right. That yeah. was a really cool situation. It's a really yeah. unique. Thing. And so, uh, but what I've always found is there are people that you ask for six years, 10 years to train. And then one day you ask them yep. and they go, you know what? Sure. I'll <laughs> sure. try it. And you do, you know, just like with jujitsu, it's a bug. You get bit yep. and you're in. If I was Bretzman. Yeah. <laughs> I have one of my guys. He's a very, uh, very good blue belt now. And he's one of the, he also instructors sometimes with the kickboxing classes. And I know him since he was yay high for 13 years now. And I've been telling him for the last 10 years, come to jiu-jitsu, come to jiu-jitsu. And now finally, a few years ago, he started. And the only thing he keeps telling me is, man, you should have told me sooner. years Because everyone does it on their own time. You can tell mm -hmm. them a hundred times, but it doesn't own time. And about that parent thing, man, I think one of the most beautiful moments I had in jiu-jitsu this year was uh, I got to give uh, a father of 49 his blue belt after five and a half years of jiu-jitsu. Long, long time, uh, but he, he completely deserved it. And his son also trains. His son already has a blue belt and a black belt in judo. And he got his blue belt two weeks ago for me at the seminar. He he sees me telling his name for the blue belt. Would never get it because he was whatever. But he completely deserves it. And the first thing he does is he turns. So he stands up to get the belt. Then within two steps, he turns around, rushes back to the group and starts hugging his son. <laughs> and I saw it and I was like, holy shit, man. That is that is so beautiful. That is so cool. The, the way that he gets to live this beautiful moment at his uh, at his jujitsu journey and share that with his son. I think that's that's amazing, man. And uh, uh, maybe I hope to get to do that one day as well. If uh... yeah, man, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So um, at this point, is there anything that you were kind of at the end? Is there anything you want to say to finish? Any um, yeah, just anything you want to say to finish? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity, and uh, that's cliche, I know, but I really, I really like the way how small the jiu-jitsu world is and how things get together. Like now, I'm here having a podcast with you, and a year ago I was listening to the podcast as a as a fan, and uh, and now we have had contact. And you made a video, and you know, uh, it's it's. I think I really enjoy that, and I think I also take away. I want to give you a a, a short shout out to all the work you do with the podcast. I really appreciate, it. and I know for someone I don't have a podcast, but with YouTube and stuff. I know how much work it is, man, and how uh, how it's not always easy. So really appreciate that. And I also want to say I learned something really cool from you the other day. Uh, you said a quote, and I can't, because my English is not so good, I'm going to read it, man. But it was, until we connect to jiu-jitsu that we learn to the jiu-jitsu that we already know, we really don't know the jiu-jitsu that we learned. And I fell over that. I thought about that for like 10 minutes in the car. and was like, wait, that's a good way to look at learning new jiu-jitsu and applying it to our known knowledge. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> You really got me thinking about a lot of stuff, man. So I really thank you for that. And besides that, the only thing I want to say to everyone is don't quit jiu-jitsu. That's the only thing. Just don't quit. The rest will sort itself out. Just don't quit and try to suck less. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. Uh, if people enjoyed this episode and they want to follow you on anything, I know I'll make sure to link everything that you name in the description. Um, and I know we referenced a few different things, but kind of just give us the list of all the places that you could be followed. Only fans. That's the only right. 
just kidding. No. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's all the same everywhere. Tum Energia or Energia Martial Arts. YouTube, BJ Fanatics, um, uh, Instagram. That's the best way to reach me. For most people who send me DMs from over the world, Instagram is the best one. Uh, Tum Energia. That's it. And Energia Fightwear on Instagram. Uh, so that's easy. But they'll they'll just find that in the description. Oh, and I would love for everyone to, if I'm ever in the neighborhood of ever in Europe, just visit us, visit our gym, visit one of my seminars. I just like meeting new people. I love people who travel for jiu-jitsu. Uh, if you hear this, my doors are always open at any gym I teach. Uh, join us for training, for rolls, or just to have pizza. I don't care. Uh, come for my YouTube channel if you're a black belt instructor uh, and you're traveling. Uh, whatever, hook me up. If you want to teach a seminar, if you want to share something, I'm always open. So if you're ever in the neighborhood of it, if I'm ever close to you with a seminar or something, just hook me up uh, and, and have a chat. I really like that. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate it. And that is the episode. Thank you to Tom for... Uh, for, for being on the show and, and just getting to, you know, I just, I love talking to people that share close to, but still different perspectives than I do. Uh, of course, it's fun to talk to people that, that share no, uh, none of the same perspective that I do. Uh, but it's just a lot harder to have those conversations. You talk to somebody like Tom, I talk to somebody like Tom, and it's just easy. It's just so easy to, you know, talk about any type of jujitsu, talk about how people should be training and just what kind of ideas he has in his gym. And I hope, I think for me, um, but I hope for you guys too, that you got something out of that, that it kind of can help you tweak your jujitsu training. And uh, that is really, that's really the purpose of this show. That's why it started. The first episode that I ever did was a training method. And, uh, you know, that's still what we're after. We're still trying to find the best training methods, find what people from all over the world are doing. And so uh, that being said, if you guys have especially some international guests, uh, some people that there's no way that I would just be able to uh, bring them in for an in-person interview, but some international guests that I could interview through Zoom. I know I said I wasn't going to do any more Zoom interviews, but I kind of... <laughs> kind of I'm doing them again uh, if I'm going to put out uh, a interview every week next month next year I almost think I'm, I've got to do some zoom interviews and also uh even though I think that there are some hang-ups you know there are some uh interrupting is a little easier it's a little harder to uh maintain that close connection with somebody while you're on zoom I still think it's possible and it's also what I built the show off of uh so often we talk about this idea that you know, you will always get a new idea in jujitsu and then you'll be like, yeah, everything else I thought before that was trash. And it's not usually like that. Uh, usually that stuff was very good for a time or it could just be tweaked. And I deal with the same thing on the podcast, that shiny object syndrome of, man, maybe in person is what I should only do. But I get great interviews like I got with Tom today and maybe that says that that's not all I should be doing. I should kind of uh, be able to focus a little bit on both. And so if you guys have any international guests that you think would be an interesting conversation, I'm really looking particularly for people who are doing things different in jujitsu training. 
uh, people that are, you know, playing games to get better at jujitsu or uh, doing something maybe that I haven't even thought of or training just in a different way. Those are the people that I want to have conversations with. And those are the people that I want to introduce everybody to that listens to the show. And so uh, if you guys have any suggestions about that, send me an email, josh at simplifyingjujitsu.com, or you can message me on Instagram at the Josh McKinney. Uh, I really appreciate any time I get a, a message from one of you guys. A lot of people, I don't know, maybe I just sound sad sometimes because I do get a lot of really cool, encouraging messages uh, from people on social media and uh, through the email. And so I really, I really appreciate that. I really love that uh, I get those messages, but that's all I have for you guys today. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Tom. I hope, uh, hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. It's almost Christmas time. Hope you guys make sure to watch Die Hard, the most important Christmas movie that really holds together the true meaning of Christmas. And most importantly, I hope today's episode helps you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu. Be sure to tune in this Thursday for the answer on could you get your black belt using only YouTube. I'll see you guys then.